Well, after the uh, American Revolution, America set its task on beginning to build itself as a nation. Uh, it uh, established a, a proper government, uh, and then it continued to face some hostilities from the British and from the French, and we were able to kind of withstand some of those, and we, we really kind of established ourselves as a formidable uh, nation at this point, right? We were now a nation uh, like many of the other, other, other nations around the world, uh, and we began to set our sights on moving out west. And so we, we, we branched out beyond the Appalachian Mountains and started to head west to see what was out there. And so uh, through a variety of, of war, uh, and different negotiations and deals, right? America was able to get the continental United States and then eventually Hawaii and Alaska in that process. Well, as they went out west, one of the final pieces that they got was the area of what we call Oregon today. And uh, both America and the British had laid claim to this Oregon territory. There was some dispute over who it actually belonged to. Uh, and so in 1846, uh, they, they came to an agreement and said, we are going to split that land in half, right? The 49th parallel. And so everything above that is going to go to the British. And what is underneath of that is going to go to America. Now, this seemed like a great idea, except there was one little part that was a little bit of a problem. Uh, and that was the idea that right in between Victoria Island, there was a whole bunch of smaller islands and the maps weren't really that good at this point. So they realized we just made this deal, but we're not sure what to do with all of these little tiny islands that actually are in between British and American lands. And so, of course, everybody had their ideas, right? America said, well, just pretty much give us San Juan and all the other islands. The British said, well, we want the Orcas and, and the Lopez Islands, and we'll take everything on the other side. Well, by the time they got to 1857, they hadn't settled it, and they said, what if we just split it down the middle? But nobody actually agreed to that. So it was just an idea that was thrown out, and it just continued to linger. Well, by this point, the Hudson Bay Company uh, had been putting uh, sheep ranchers on the island. America had about 25 settlers at this point who were beginning to live dispersed amongst these different islands. Well, this finally came to a head when an American shot a British pig. Uh, and so he went to the man and he said, hey, listen, you're, you know, your, your pig was in my garden. I've been telling you it was eating my crops. And so I shot it. Uh, so let me make it up to you. Here's ten dollars. Well, the British man responded with that will not cover. I want one hundred dollars for that pig. Now, the American thought that this was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and he, he had said to him, he said that pig was eating my potatoes, to which the British man responded, it is up to you to keep your potatoes out of my pig. Well, now this just started to escalate because the British had gone to the British authorities and said what told them what happened. And they now threatened to arrest the Americans. So he turned around and he went to some military personnel in the area and he told them what was about to happen. And there was a couple hot headed American uh, officers at this point. Well, they showed up and they landed 66 American troops uh, on San Juan Island. Well, the British were not to be outdone that they decided to send several warships to now block the island and the surrounding different channels. Well, this continued to escalate. And by the time Washington, D.C. and London heard about what happened, um, the Americans had about 450 sail, uh, soldiers, 
had started to build forts on these little islands and had about 14 cannons overlooking British area. Well, the British in response had 70 warships, had about 15 cannons, um, I'm sorry, five warships, 70 cannons, and about 2,000 troops were now put on these islands. Uh, and so they were ready to come to heads uh, at this point as the tensions continued to escalate and grow. Well, comrades were prevailing at the moment, and they said, listen, how about we do this? You guys take the north side of the island, we'll take the south side of the island. And so the, the British set up a, a camp there, the Americans set up a camp, and they pretty much had their guns uh, latched in on each other at this point. Well, they continued for this uh, for quite some time until 1871. So 1846 to 1871, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this to somebody else to mediate this problem. We are going to go to the Kaiser Wilhelm uh, I of Germany, and we're going to let him decide who gets these islands. And they said, fine, we, let's just go with that. That's what we're going to do. Well, in the end, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm I uh, graciously decided to agree with the Americans. And so all of those islands that were in the middle uh, were given over to the American forces. So for about 25 years... This issue raged on over a single casualty of war, which was the pig. <laughs> so for 25 years, the British and the Americans stood toe-to-toe, -to -toe, ready to fire on each other, and were not willing to give in. Now, thankfully, as I said, comrades prevailed, and they were able to come to some sort of conclusion by this. Now, Actually, the Americans actually still fly the British flag over that encampment and fly the American flag as well as just a symbolic gesture of what happened in what is known as the Pig War. So again, the Pig War, the only war where a pig dies in the process. Um, but think about that idea. Think about that concept of conflict, that how quickly something could escalate if we do not properly deal with these types of relationships. I mean, these, these two nations were ready to come to heads over something so small and something so silly that really could have easily been dealt with if two rational people would have just talked to each other and tried to work it out uh, in this process. So as we talk about Leviticus uh, today, we've been talking about this issue of purity, right? We talked about how we needed to make sure that we're eating the clean and the unclean animals, staying away from the unclean animals, right? We talked about how those external factors press in on us. And then last week, we talked about all of the purity that needs to be inside of us, the, the things like disease and mildew and, and all of the, the bodily fluids and issues and how we needed to be separate from all of those different factors. And we said, you know, those are all of the internal things of our hearts that God needs to cleanse us from. Well, we're going to continue now talking about the purity that exists, but now we're talking about it in the context of relationship. So as I said, everything before 16 and 17, again, deals with our relationship with God, and pretty much everything after 17 is dealing with the relations of other people uh, around us and how we live in a day-to-day -day life as we're called to be holy. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 18. We're going to be in chapters 18 through 20. We're also going to hit a portion of chapter 24 uh, at this point. But God's going to continue to lay out what are some of these rules, uh, essentially, of engagement. Now he starts in 18, in verse, in verse 1. He said, The Lord said to Moses, 
Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God, and you must, do, you must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my, my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So again, right, they're in the desert. They've come out of Egyptian slavery. And he's saying, look, don't be like those people that I just pulled you out of. And remember, I'm taking you into the promised land. I don't want you to act like those people as well. So all of these rules in Exodus and Leviticus are all trying to have you understand that, again, you are to be separate from the culture that exists around you. You are to live differently than the world that exists around you. And so he, he's got these four broad categories that we're going to kind of take a look at. One, he's talking about sexual relations. He, he has a, a whole bunch of just general relation pieces, kind of these little random snippets. Relationships in terms of business and then our relationship with God. So those are the four categories that we're, we're going to work through there. So in verse 6, he says, No one is to approach any blood relative to have sexual relations, I am the Lord. So he establishes this point about who it is that you can engage in some sort of physical relationship with, that you can have that deeper, more intimate relationship with. Uh, and, he, and he says, look, it, it, can't be, uh, it can't be your mother. It can't be with your sister, your sister-in-law, your granddaughter. It can't be with your neighbor's wife. All of these relationships, essentially, he was saying, those are off limits. Okay, that's what the pagans do. I don't want you to engage how they engage. Okay, so don't engage in those types of relationships. And then in 22 and 23, he adds, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. So he says, look, men don't lie with men and women don't lie with women. And you certainly don't do this with animals. Okay, that is detestable. And that is a perversion of what God has established. And and when we take that word detestable, it uses the word uh, abomination, abhorrent, something that causes horror or repulse. And when we use perversion, it means something that's confusion or unnatural. So when you engage in these types of relationships, this is repulsive to God. And again, when when we repulse God, God casts us away from him. And we confuse the natural order of what God had designed between a man and a woman, between a husband and his wife. And so I want to be very clear uh, as a church that we understand this point of view because of what the culture is pushing on us right now. That the culture will say that what I have just said is incorrect. It's politically incorrect to say that. That is not loving. That is not kind. That is not accepting. Quite frankly, that isn't, isn't your God, isn't your Jesus a God of love and acceptance? Doesn't he just forgive everyone? I mean, many people will argue, you know, if you go into the scripture, Jesus himself never actually said any of this. That's that's how the world will try to spin this on us. 
So we have to remember a couple of things here. One, Jesus is God. And if God was the author of all scripture, that he divinely inspired this for human authors to write, then everything in the scriptures is what Jesus has said. So when, when, when it's said here in Leviticus, that is Jesus himself speaking about this. And then what the culture is going to do, it's going to try to box you in. It's going to, when you make comments like this, it's going to say, Adam, that's because you're a bigot. That is because you are a hate monger. You are intolerant. You are not accepting of people. And so they're going to use language that puts you in a corner because who wants to be labeled as those things? And they're trying to get you to concede and to compromise what it is that you believe by trying to force you into this little tiny box where you have no escape. But see, we don't have to escape them. That's not our job. We escape the perils of hell because we have a faith in a savior who died for us. And yes, Jesus is love and he is good and he is forgiving, but he is also just and God has set a standard of holiness that has caused us to follow. And so our job is not to appease the culture around us, but our job is to honor and worship the God who died for us. And so any notion that forces us to accept this, any form of it, of being tolerant or compromising, as believers, it should be rejected at every single cost. Because what God has called sin is to what we are to call sin. Because what has he been telling us in Leviticus? He is saying, you are to be holy because I am holy. That is the standard that God has set. Now, with that being said, I want us to just also understand this part of it. We are absolutely to stick to the truth. We are not to compromise that. But when we engage people of this nature who believe this, who live this lifestyle, yes, they are wrong for the way that they do it. Yes, that is a sin. But you know what? We are still to respect their humanity and their dignity because they are made in the image of God. And so what we need to do is to lovingly point them to a savior who loves them and died for them. What we need to do is point them to God's standard of truth and holiness that says this is what God wants for you because this is the best that God can give us. Because Christ is the solution to all of our problems. And that is where we need to point people. To that righteousness that exists. And we need to have people understand that you do not henpeck and pick and choose the different parts of who Jesus Christ is. But if Christ is going to be Lord of your life, he is going to be Lord over your entire life. Not just parts of it. Okay, so I, I felt that is extremely important for us to hear as believers and as a church, because again, you turn on anything in the television, you flip on anything anywhere, and it is constantly in your face. And we are to not compromise what we believe about what Christ has said about these relationships. So now he goes on and he lays out just general practical rules here. Uh, in verse 18, 21, he says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. 
for you must not profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Now, if you don't know, Molech was a Phoenician God. He was a God of fertility. And their belief was that if I took my firstborn child and literally threw him into the altar of Molech to be burned up, that, that Molech would bless me with future children and would bless me with prosperity and wealth. And so God says, okay, we're not going to do that at all because every child is valuable in the eyes of God. And then he goes on in 19 and he says, look, he says, don't lie, don't swear, don't curse uh, the deaf, don't show favoritism, don't, don't, don't bless a rich man at the neglect of the poor man, uh, don't seek revenge, don't mistreat aliens living among you. You are to respect your parents and you are to respect your elders. And then he goes on further in 19 and he, he's talking about business now. And in 9 through 19 or 13, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Don't lie. Do not deceive one another. Don't swear. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man. And then in verse 35, he goes on a little bit later there. And he, he says, also, don't use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So he says, look, in your business dealings, you need to act appropriately to each other. You need to make sure that people get their fair wages and, and they get paid and people are getting the proper product and you're not overcharging them. And then he goes on in 19 and he says, we've got some laws here about God. Verse three, observe the Sabbath. Verse four, do not turn to idols or make gods. Verse 26, don't practice divination. That's like sorcery. Verse 27 and 28, don't cut your hair, don't cut your bodies or put marks on yourself. Again, those are all the things that the pagans are doing. I don't want you to do that. Verse 31, don't turn to mediums or spirits, right? Don't, don't be consulting the dead looking for advice. Don't go to the fortune teller. That, I have all of the answers for you. So 18 to 20 is about all these different types of relationships. He lays out the rules about how you are to act in different kinds of relationships with different groups of people. So then when we come to verse 20... Uh, he, he's going to start to talk about what does this look like now when you violate these types of relationships. Now, in 1937, right at the end, again, he reminds them, he says, keep all of my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. So I just told you all these rules. You need to obey them. Okay, this is your job. You hold to the standard that I just told you to do. And if we violate this, he says this in 18 and he also says this in 20. He says, this is what's going to happen. If you violate these rules, if you break these relationships, he says, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord, your God. 
Listen, if you violate this relationship, this land will vomit you out. It will spew you out. And you know what? We've already seen this several times, right? What happened when Adam and Eve violated the laws of God? What did God do? God said, get out of the Garden of Eden. You're not allowed in here anymore. What what happened when the Israelites sinned in the desert? He said, remember this promised land that I was going to take you to? Well, guess what? Now you're going to wait because now you're not allowed to enter it right now. And what about what about when we entered into the period of the kingdoms and the kingdom splits between Israel and Judah and they continue to violate the laws? Well, God says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kick you out of here. You're going to go into Assyria and you're going to go into Babylon and you're going to be there in captivity. You're not going to stay in my presence anymore. I'm going to vomit you out. So so this God had promised this and God made good on that deal. So those are the consequences. And in 20, he, he, he talks more about these immoral relationships and he basically boils it down to two parts. He says, look, here's the deal. You violate, I've got two options. One, you're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be, you're going to be exiled out of my presence or you're going to be killed. It's going to be one or the other. But I will not tolerate these types of actions. And then in 24, he adds a little bit more. So again, there's this, there's this argument between two people. And as they're fighting in the argument, one of the individuals blasphemies the name of God. He takes God's name in a way that does not honor God. And he, he essentially curses the name of God in this fight. And in 15 and 16, he says, Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God, they will be held responsible. And anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native born. When they blaspheme in the name, they are to be put to death. Listen, if anybody, if anybody says anything bad about my name, about who I am, they are to die because I will not tolerate that. And then in verse 17 through 22, he says, if a, a man marries his uh, Sorry, I got to find my spot here. All right. Well, I've lost myself in in the scriptures here. Apologize for that. Usually it doesn't happen, but I guess you get one of those every once in a while, huh? Well, essentially, this is what we got here, that essentially it becomes the old eye for an eye, the, the tooth for tooth type of passage, right? That if, if someone knocks out your tooth, you were to knock that out. If they knock out your eye, you are to knock that out. Because again, what is God saying? God says, I'm a God of justice. And, and what is to happen, right, is there is a set of consequences for the violation of the laws. And we need to adhere to them. So he says, here's the deal. I've laid out the rules for you. I told you how you're supposed to act with different people. And if you don't act the right way, these are the consequences. As simple as that. Now, again, what what about us? Because, you know, I've heard lots of people take the Lord's name in vain. You know, I I don't call my Penn Valley people together and say, quick, let's grab a bunch of stones and we're going to go stone this guy. What about us? What do we do? Well, this is where we go back to the great commandment in Matthew 22. 
Now, I, I want us to understand something that that when when this conversation happens with Jesus, the New Testament is not written yet. All they have is the Old Testament laws. All they have is the book of Leviticus, right? And, and, and Exodus, right? They, they don't have what Jesus is about to what, what Jesus has. We, we, we can go to the Gospels and see what Jesus has for us. This guy doesn't have that. So he says, all right, Jesus. He says, you're, you're talking to us about all this stuff. And there's all these laws that we're supposed to follow. All these laws in Leviticus we're supposed to follow. Jesus, what's the most important one? Which one am I supposed to follow out of all of the other ones? And Jesus says, all right, look, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, notice the expert. What did he say? He said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? And what is Jesus Jew? Jesus says, well, I got two actually for you. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't ask for two laws. I only wanted one. I know that you only wanted one. But what I'm telling you is you ask what the most important one is. And I can't give you the most important law without giving you this other part of the most important law. That's how important both of these functions are. And he says, all of these commands hang on what the law and prophets have said. Right? This, this is where the law and the prophets hang their hat. That if they have to boil it down, all of this stuff in the Old Testament, all of this stuff in Leviticus, it comes down to this. You love God and you love others. I mean, just take the Ten Commandments. You have Ten Commandments, right? The first four all tell us to love who? God. And the next six tell us how to love other people. The book of Leviticus. Everything in the first part tells us how to love God. And everything in the second part tells us how to love other people. That, that's what he means when he breaks this all down. He says, if we can summarize all these laws, this is all we need to summarize about all of these specific things that I keep telling you about. And the reason why I've done it is because when you live in the way that I've called you to live, when I've asked you to love people the way that I have loved you, then what do you get? You get peace. You get the blessing of a relationship that I've designed for you. So if we just kind of take those four categories again, right? If, if I go into a relationship that's not my wife, that's going to create problems, right? My, my wife and I, it says in the scriptures that, that, that when, when man and woman were united, they were united as what? One flesh. They, they literally have become one person. And if I engage in any other type of relationship like I do with my wife, what have I done between me and my wife? I have ripped apart the one flesh. And that creates hostility in a marriage. And it destroys a marriage. And it destroys a family. 
And if I, if I engage with people where, again, I favor someone because of the way their car works or, or, or I look at someone and go, well, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie to this person because I want something from them. Or I hold a grudge and, and, and I just I never let it go. And I'm just constantly thinking about how I can have revenge on that person again and again and again until I get my, my satisfaction from it. All I do is continue to create animosity between me and other people. And instead of living in a world of peace and a harmonious relationship, there's just constant tension. If I'm constantly arguing with my parents and my children and we're just fighting each other. It's not a good home. It's not the home that God has desired. So he says you love your parents and you don't exasperate your children. And when I get into business, I don't cheat people. I don't defraud them. I don't hold their wages back because I want to make more money. Because when I cheat people in business, instead of building up society, all I'm doing is tearing it down for my own selfish greed. And when I don't live in a right relationship with God and I go out and I consult spirits and medians and, and I look for the fortune tellers and I don't honor the Sabbath and, and I don't take time to spend it with God. What essentially I'm doing is telling to God, I'm saying, God, I found satisfaction somewhere else. I have found answers somewhere else, God. I don't need you in my life. That's what we're telling God. We all know the consequences when we tell God we don't need him. The eternal consequences of hell. Because see, the problem is this, that you and I were built to love. That is true. But you know what? You and I were built to love one person. And that's ourselves. My sinful heart always looks at what I want above what you want. And it will do anything to get it. And when I only love myself in this world, I create problems and difficulties all around me. I mean, just, just look at the Great Pig War. They literally started an international crisis because two guys could not come to terms about a pig. Look at the world around us. How many wars wage on because of man's selfish heart and desire? We've waged a war to the point that war is so destructive that people are afraid to use the weapons anymore. And yes, there is an element that we want to protect ourselves. I understand that. But that is what man is capable of doing. We look at destruction as opposed to peace. But because I can't love you the way that I love myself, Christ had to come. And Christ had to come to show me what true love looked like. And when Christ went to that cross, he showed me what unconditional love was. And he showed me what sacrifice was. And he showed me what forgiveness was. And he showed me what grace and mercy was. And he said, do you see what I did for you? 
He said, now you can go and love people that way. And when we love people that way, that is the best possible relationship that we can have. A life that honors God and a life that is willing to honor other people. And so how do we practically walk out of this? Two verses. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Remember, God called the Israelites to reject the sin and the culture around them. But he also said, through your rejection, you're going to be a witness and a light to the testimony around the people. And as you live amongst these people, I need you to live in a manner that respects and love other people the way that I've loved you. And what Christ has said to us is he said, I've called you to reject the culture around you. To reject its sin. And to live differently. But as you live differently in this world. I've also called you to love this world and to be the light to this world. Again, Christ died for us in our state of sin. Christ came to us, bringing peace between you and I. That when he went to the cross, he says, here's the peace treaty. If you want to be right with me, you have my son. You accept his blood. Then we will have peace. And that's the same thing we need to do. We need to extend to the world a peace treaty. We need to extend to them the understanding of what peace and holiness looks like. And that peace only comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you've, you've asked us to be pure. Be holy because you are holy. You've asked us to be pure within our own lives, to shield ourselves and our minds, our hearts, our eyes, our ears from the sin around us, to not embrace the culture. But Lord, you've also called us to be pure in our relationships. You've called us to love people the way that you have loved us. And Lord, it's never about me. It's never about what I can get or what I want because the greatest thing that I have is you. Lord, I have been given eternal peace. And that is what I should strive to do is to offer for everyone else. So Lord, in every relationship that exists, may we live that out the way that you called us to live out. Let us love unconditionally and let us adhere to the standard of holiness for what you've called. Amen.